Today on The Topping Show, MyPillow smushes and loses $100 million in sales, forcing them to sell off some of the equipment. Ben & Jerry slams the Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action. Ted Cruz calls for the IRS to be abolished. Threads is up while Twitter is down. Chocolate cost is continuing to skyrocket, but people keep eating the darn stuff. Electric vehicles are sitting on lots and collecting dust. And a Native American tribe calls out Ben & Jerry's hypocrisy and asks for their land back. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode's Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, see their founder release twice a day. Guy say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner and need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going out to the business part of the podcast, you have threads exponentially up while Twitter is down. Threads is Facebook's ripoff, I mean copy-paste, I mean idea, which is exactly the same as Twitter. So they have it as a sub-app under the Facebook, which is actually known as Meta, but it's actually under their Instagram app. So it's an app within an app within an app. Interesting idea. Now, because it's not a standalone app, it's an app within an app within an app, it takes very little effort to actually sign up, apparently. All you have to do is click away your rights so that they literally know your health, your credit score, all your contacts, what well, contacts as usual, but it's even more invasive than usual. It's just saying something for an app these days. But because Facebook has a large incumbent base and all the Instagram users are already on it, all they had to do is check one extra box signing their, their privacy away. They got 100 million users in one week. 100 million subscribers, users, whatever you want to call it, as an exponential growth rate. Although it'd be interesting to know What's the percentage of people who are actually signing up for it who are not already on Facebook and already on the default or rather another one of their ideas, which is Instagram? Maybe 1%, 2%. I, I wouldn't venture to say it's much, but it seems to be they're adding applications or they're adding to their current clients. They're not expanding and getting new clients to the platform. That's what I'm guessing thus far. Now, in terms of the Twitter traffic going down, a third-party analysis showed that Twitter traffic would decrease 5% last Thursday and Friday compared to the previous week, and it's actually 11% lower compared to the same week the last year. So it looks like Twitter seems to be going down a little bit, and in terms of the idea of Facebook and threads and how it's going to be different, you have a meta executive by the name of Adam Massardi, and he claims that threads will not promote politics or hard news, which, of course is a lie you should not be surprised about. It's almost like the status quo for Facebook is a lie. That's why half the comments are censored on all the things you find on Facebook. And the most amusing comments I would always argue are the ones that are censored. You have to click to unhide or they just delete them completely. Now, they say they're not going to push politics or hard news, which I find hilariously that within like two days of starting the platform, they already broke that promise or that idea. Because one of the number one recommended I don't know what you call them, thread creators, a seamstress? They should have called their users seamstress or whatever, um, a sewing person. That'd be a funny, they should be more creative like that. I'm not saying they get an F for marketing, but it could have been better. Now, why is, if they say they're not going to, you know, they're not going to promote politics, why is one of the top people that is forced down your throat on the Threads platform 
is Alexandria Actarzio Cortez, also known as the Social Democratic Socialist self-proclaimed AOC. She is a current politician. I know some people might say, you know, it's way far up northeast. It's not really far of America. It technically is. Calm down. Kind of. But it's one of those things where she is extremely vocal and she's a very well-known politician. I follow her partially on the Twitter just because I find her... I find her responses very amusing. Although intellect is sometimes not in her vocabulary. But you always want to see what are the other people thinking about? What are their ideals? And it's always fun to debate them. Or rather, they're too scared. They usually abdicate from debates altogether. More accurately, talk to most friends, family, you know, colleagues, and ask, you know, what are your thoughts on this? But I digress. Now, she's extremely vocal on her political views. She's a politician. It makes sense. But I've noticed a lot of my friends who have signed up for Threads, they've noted that she's on all of their newsfeed, and they didn't ask to follow her, or sew her, whatever they call it on the app, in terms of your vernacular for following someone. And... We'll see. Now, in terms of the user rate going down on threads, I don't think a lot of people are going to delete their profile because we did confirm, because it's an, an app with an app with an app with an app, if you delete your threads, you also delete your Instagram, which many, many, many people are addicted completely to that little picture platform, which, when it comes to social trends and clothing and stuff, I usually like to wait six to 10 years before I really evaluate it to see if it's really good. And that's why I got it on Twitter about a year ago. Partially because Elon bought it and you don't get censored every 28 seconds. But it is interesting to see you can't really delete the threads app because you would be nuking two of your laps. Which, from a business perspective, is smart on Facebook because they know people are addicted to Instagram. They're not going to get rid of the other one. So a smart business move on their part. It'll be interesting to see how many of these users are bots potentially. It would be fascinating to have a third-party assessment look at both Twitter and Facebook and Meta and Threads and Instagram. What is the actual percentage of active monthly users that are not bots? And the bots are getting better and better trained or programmed in this case. Will it get to the point where it's indistinguishable from human interaction? Time shall tell, but it's something to be concerned about. If you're interested to see across all the platforms, what's the ratio or the percentage of real versus fake? We'll see, but for now it looks like Threads is growing like a weed. Or a tumor, depending on what your belief is. Now, other interesting businesses, you have chocolate inflation exponentially going through the roof, but people are still buying it. Now, this is coming from the cocoa supplies that are at a four-decade low. Now, I know schools these days, many of them, not all, but they don't really teach anything besides political ideology. I mean, math and history scores at all-time low. I partially think there's reasons for that. So I'll do a quick little mini history lesson. So if you'd like to share with some youth or people who are interested, they can help with their education. Now, in America, and the beauty of capitalism and all the world and the markets, you have supply and demand. Now, the less supply, there's more demand, prices go up. It's a nice little curve. I'll do a nice chart one of these days. But in this case, we have a 40, or sorry, yeah, 40 year low on the supply. So you have more people choosing, chasing after fewer products, the price per unit is going to go up. So you have that, and cocoa is the base raw material needed for chocolate. Unfortunately, they also inject a, a godly amount of corn syrup in many candies, probably chocolate as well. I'd have to actually look at the ingredients. Again, I'm a man, I usually don't. I don't go out there and buy candy or anything like that. Maybe every couple of years after a half marathon or something, maybe. 
But I digress. I don't usually have that in my usual grocery list of steak, meat sauce. What else do I buy? Yangling for podcast guests. But I digress. It probably isn't many of those ingredients. But at the core, it is cocoa. So you have that little supply. And this is one of those interesting things where, in spite of the prices rising exponentially, you have a third-party reporter over at Bloomberg. They noted that even though the prices are going skyrocket, they also think, oh, yeah, we're actually projecting sales to increase by 5.8%. And that does take into account inflation because the U.S. dollar is worth less and less every day, unfortunately. But people are still buying this stuff. And it is insane to think what every time I hear about the economy getting worse and people complaining and struggling, which again, a lot of people are that I, I mean, many businesses have ebbs and flows, go ups and downs, but they still buy the crap they don't need. And again, it's anecdotal evidence, but when I'm looking at the social media, when I'm talking to people on the streets, very few people are actually cutting back like they should be when the economy is shite. And there's so many unknowns and unknown variables with the economy of how much worse it might get. I mean, if a, if a global, if, it, if the U.S. can't maintain the monopoly of the U.S. dollar on the global trades, and all of a sudden other countries don't need to buy the U.S. dollar in order to buy oil, that in and of itself is going to decimate the U.S. dollar and basically make it worse, probably one of the worst inflations since Venezuela or Germany back in the day. But in spite of all that data, People are still buying chocolate, which I cannot fathom a, a, a worse waste of money if you're struggling. It's candy, which, again, we can have a whole discussion on what's the difference between a need versus a necessity. I mean, shoot, Disney, no one's going to believe me, I swear, but this is true. Back in the day, Disney actually taught things like morals and ideals and actually was a net benefit, I would argue, a net benefit to many youths who watch it. There's actually an old song called The Bear Necessities, which was pejoratively sung by a bear. And when I say bear, nowadays Disney, if you say a bear is singing, it's probably not child appropriate, but they're probably still producing it. Back in the day, it was a physical bear, like the animal the bear. So I have to do a little disclaimer, a little clarification there. But they actually, in the Jungle Book, the little animated movie they made, they actually had a whole song about the bear necessities, which was, of course is a cliche. It's a cute play on words, bear, bear necessities versus, you know, the animal bear versus the bear necessities like you need. But people are still buying chocolate, and I find that fascinating. And we'll see if maybe start, people start to cut back on some of these frivolous things, but time shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have EV vehicles sitting on lots gathering dust. Granted, it's also nice that they're not bursting into flames, as lithium-ion can do from time to time. And it's quite entertaining, because I know gas vehicles blow up too, but lithium is a whole other thing in and of itself. Also, most fire departments don't have the equipment yet necessary to appropriately put out those fires, which is why if you go to a racetrack, they say no EVs. It's not because they don't like EVs, although I, many of them probably do, but it's for safety. You need a whole different fire suppression unit, chemicals, and what have you, to actually appropriately address those types of fires. So a little fun fact if you ever like to go to the track. And if you do, make sure you go with three pedals and a stick shift. It is the most fun you'll ever have, bar none. Now, according to Axios, it looks like the number of e unsold EV on the lots bloomed 350% this year, which you could also argue there 
increasing the production of those units. And they're also usually more expensive than a house, but I digress for now. But it looks as if 51% of buyers are now considering an EV, which is, that is according to Axios this year, as opposed to only 38% of people considering it in 2021. Which again, I always tell people, depending on your income, it's a fun toy in terms of if you need something to get you to work every single day for 20 years or whatever your finances allow, it may or may not make absolutely no sense at all. Personally, my family still has a 2001 Honda Accord and it being, that thing is bulletproof. Thankfully, because it's powered by a inline four, three cylinders pushing, pounding up and down, internal combustion engine all the way for that vehicle. And it still runs, which in terms of a ROI from a vehicle, you, with the current technology you'll have, you'll never get that from an EV, ever. You already have vehicles where, another reason I see it as silly to collect these things, I believe it's the LaFerrari, one of the first Ferraris to be, have an EV battery, same with a lot of these McLarens, a lot of the exotics are starting to do this. Once the battery goes dead, there's reports that it's costing $200,000 for a battery. Is anyone gonna collect that car for 20 years? Have you collected your iPhone or when was the last time you turned on your old smartphone from five years ago? That's why I suspect it's a short-term fad. I think hydrogen is slowly gaining popularity and they will eventually figure out the bottleneck in that equation. I think those would be a longer lasting in terms of the specific vehicle. But I digress. It looks like into the specifics of you know EV versus intercombustion engine on dealership lots. Dealerships currently have a 92-day supply of, EV vehicle, of EVs compared to, compared to a 54-day supply for gas-powered vehicles. Now, rudimentally saying, or simply put, they about have twice as many, or they, have, they can be selling those vehicles for 92 days and still have, before they run out. And in terms of a car dealership, I used to sell cars back in the day, built a lot of character. It was, uh, was it the sixth coldest winter in Iowa's history? It, it put some hair on my chest, so to say. Now, in terms of the dealership relationships and how dealerships operate, and great negotiating tactic if you ever go to a dealership to purchase a vehicle, one of the things they measure is the age of the vehicle. And I don't mean in terms of, you know, it was produced in 2002, obviously it's, you know, zero years old, but the age of the vehicle is how many days has that vehicle been sitting on the lot? Because every single day, that costs the dealership money because an overwhelming amount of the time, they don't own the vehicles. It's on a floor plan, which is a special financing mechanism that automotive dealerships use, where instead of them actually buying the vehicles and having a huge upfront cost and also risk because they have to sell them, they actually, simply put, they're leasing the vehicles. It's not technically a lease, it's a lot more nuances, but the main concept is they're paying a fee every month. They're not paying the whole cost of the vehicle when they first get that vehicle on the lot. So it's a very specific, industry-specific thing, but every day they're paying interest on that. So if that vehicle has been down there for, you know, 160 days, 260 days, that's costing them real money. And for these EVs to just be sitting there and sitting there and sitting there from a dealership perspective, that's terrible. So those owners are going to start to perhaps think, well, why are we selling so many more gas-powered vehicles? Is it because they're cheaper in many cases? Is it because it's the consumer perception, in which case maybe they just need extra sales training, which actually I was told that EVs sell themselves and they're just they're perfect in every way. That's what I was told. But realistically, a lot of consumers I think are started 
wonder, do I really have enough money to spend 60, 70, 80, 100 grand on a vehicle? Vehicles in general have gotten a lot more expensive. You look at the Ford F-150. Trucks, ironically and hilariously enough, used to be cheaper than cars because the whole idea was this is a cheap farm vehicle for utility only. And now you have trucks that easily sell for six figures for a truck, basically a house on wheels. And I know they cram a lot more technology into these things. Granted, if it was up to me, they would just all have three pedals and, you know, little technology because more technology introduced, the more variables there are for things to break. Which is why, statistically speaking, cars are less reliable now than they were before because they have more components, more failure points built into them. Unfortunately, in the United States, there's only one truck that has three pedals. And it's a lightweight, it's a light duty truck, but it's the Toyota Tacoma. I'm not sponsored by Toyota, just a fan. Come on, Toyota, hook me up. Kidding. Some debate the Jeep Gladiator is a truck because that also comes with stick shift, but no, I don't think that's a truck. That's a debate we could have in the comment section, perhaps. But for these EV, going back to the point of EV vehicles sitting on the lots for so long, it'll be interesting to see do these dealerships shift their allocation in terms of when they're ordering from the distribution from the manufacturers, are they going to decrease the amount of EVs they want to purchase? And maybe just tell Toyota, hey, we want we want another hundred. Maybe we'll get uh we'll get two hundred Toyota Corollas internal combustion engine because those things again will last twenty five years or a million miles, which if you're living paycheck to paycheck, that's what I that, that's what I would want to think about. I know that's not everyone, but they want something that's going to be cheap, reliable, and will get them to work. And that's kind of what Toyotas and Hondas are known for. So let me just see how does this shift? How does this shift the dealership relationships? They also have the EV industry going more direct sale. Interesting business news, but as I always say, time shall tell. Now. Going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have my pillow being crushed. Or perhaps a better metaphor would be there's no more cool side of the pillow. Which I shouldn't have to explain this, but there's a phenomenon in which you flipped over the pillow and the other side is cooler, and it's very refreshing to do that. It's perhaps like one of the nicest it's, it's, it's a legit thing you can do. Now, it looks like the company's actually auctioning off some of the equipment required to make their products. Now, Mike Lindell, the CEO, actually noted that their annual sales fell by $100 million. Let me say that again. $100 million in sales just gone. And it was all because of culture, politics, and business coming together. Now, Mike Lindell has come out um, as conservative, which if you're in retail, that's kind of like the kiss of death. Retailers, traditionally, they don't like that, unfortunately. It's the one, it's a, the last uh, last uh, kind of discrimination that's widely accepted and actually, not only accepted, but it's glorified. It's um, pursued, emboldened, encouraged is a good word, encouraged in the United States. And Mike Lindell, many Americans did question the last 2020 election, in which more people voted for Joe Biden than ever in history before, over 80 million votes in, I believe, 34 counties. Which some people, some people, I would never, questioned and wondered how that statistical anomaly came to light. Mike Lindell was very vocal about that. He actually came out saying he thought the election was illegitimate, which as recently as two or three weeks ago would get you deplatformed on uh, YouTube or any social media company. Interestingly enough, they changed their policy. There's a lot of speculation as to why, but 
Mike Lindell came out and said he did not believe the election was legitimate. And he also had questions about the voting machines, which other people did as well. However, he is the CEO of MyPillow and the companies decided to drop his product specifically because of his, obviously I'm about to say he's religious, perhaps to an extent, in this case it's more of a political, actually political affirmations, his political beliefs. And I was fascinated to see there really wasn't a cultural pushback. You didn't see a lot of people, a lot of consumers going to these retailers and demanding them put the pillow back on the shelf or for them to reinstate the product or put the product back on the shelf so they could purchase it. And thankfully, he's not having to lay off too many employees, I don't believe. They're scaling back the business. But it is fascinating to see there really wasn't much pushback. And every, very similar to when social media banned Alex Jones unanimously without question, all the retailers basically burned him at once. It was just one simple moment and every retailer dropped him. You had Walmart, which used to be conservative, they dropped him in a New York minute. You had Ben Bath Beyond drop him. They're also bankrupt now. And you also had Slumberland Furniture. All of them dropped them. Because he said he thought the election was stolen from Donald Trump. That was, and it's one of those things where as an owner of the company and a founder of the company, you have to be very careful not only to delineate or differentiate your personal opinion from the company's opinion, but even doing, even if you try to differentiate those two things, there are some people who won't tell the difference or won't see the difference or won't care about the difference. They just want, they see you're different. They want to, put, they want to basically get rid of you, which is quite disturbing and quite disappointing. Now, specifically in terms of, this, ter- terms of scaling back the business, you have, and I can't believe they're actually based over in Minnesota, a little disappointing. In terms of culturally speaking, it's interesting he chose that place of operations. Although, given the trend at every two minutes, a company's relocating to Florida or Texas, wouldn't be surprised if he moved on, but time shall tell. Now, specifically, he noted that they listed more than 850 surplus equipments on an online auction site known as K-Bid, and the equipment ranged from sewing machines, industrial fabric spreaders, forklift, even chairs and desks were up for auction. And he did note that they're scaling back at current capacity. They had about one and a half warehouses. Now he's scaling back to about one warehouse capacity. And hopefully, again, I'm, I really hope he doesn't have to lay off too many people. I hope no jobs are lost from this initiative. And it looks, it sounds like he's div- diversified into a couple of businesses where employees might be able to find roles there as well. But it's fascinating thing, culturally speaking, you can see a lot of consumer pushback. And, I don't know if that's just because it was two or three years ago when this first happened and he's really only starting to feel the heat from the situation now as those contracts are nullified and they're no longer demanded to be produced for those retailers. And hopefully his own e-commerce platform will bolster those sales additionally. But time shall tell and hopefully there's not too many jobs lost. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have Ben and Jerry's slamming the United States Supreme Court because of their ruling on affirmative action. Now, this happened a couple weeks back, but it looks like, fascinatingly enough, it started to trend on Twitter a little bit as more and more people started to dig down in Ben and Jerry's because they famously tweeted on the 4th of July that the United States should give Mount Rushmore back to the indigenous people and it was on stolen land. The hypocrisy is hilarious because their headquarters is on, of course, indigenous land as well. That story actually comes in a couple minutes in our business blunder in the section of the day as the situation evolves. Now, specifically... 
they tweeted they, they were fervently against this, which again, you make ice cream for a living. You give people, it's basically a diabetes mechanism. Shove this cream down your throat, your life doesn't get better. Why are they talking about any Supreme Court state? Unless the Supreme Court state specifically said, we're going to put, we're going to rule that this tax is unconstitutional on sugar or something like that. Or they rule that the federal government can still, in fact, tax sugar or corn syrup for their products. That makes sense. It's an ingredient for their product or their swill. That would make more appropriate sense to me if I were to think of the correlation between ice cream and the Supreme Court. Now, they actually came out and they tweeted, quote, Today's SCOTUS ruling against affirmative action gutted a crucial tool in the fight against white supremacy by overturning decades of precedent and ruling further entrenches the legacy of slavery and racism while perpetuating white privilege. Now, they actually tweeted twice because their idiocracy cannot be contained to one tweet because of the limit count. The other tweet shortly came after said, quote, Well, let them eat cake obliviousness today. The majority pulls the ripcord and announces colorblindness for all, but by legal fiat. But deeming race irrelevant oh, of the law does not make it so in life. Actually, no, that was even more idiocracy. That was uh, Justice Kantanja Brown. Or, yeah, the one who is not a biologist when they asked, does she know what a woman is? And she said, I'm not a biologist, I can't tell you. That was when the... She's being nominated, nominated to Supreme Court, and they're actually asking her questions, which, of course, no, very few people actually answer those questions. Now, again, it just shows the, the disgusting racism of thinking the only way from someone to, will succeed is if you give them preferential treatment based on their race. The best thing about the United States and capitalism in general is those who produce the best results get the best result, rewards. And you treat someone based on their merit, not by the pigment of their skin. And Leah starts to see, as this boycott against Ben & Jerry starts to gain a little steam, it's gaining steam on social media. Will it translate to sales? Their parent company Unilever went down a little bit in terms of their stock value, but it's not dramatic. It's been single-digit percentage points. And it'll be interesting to see, does it gain steam or does it fizzle out? As we kind of have a real freakonomic situation where sometimes there's a big boycott with Bud Light, and other times the culture and the consumers really don't really care. They don't. It doesn't gain the traction like other boycotts do. And time shall tell to see if this is one of those instances, or people just forget about it and they turn on the cable box and tune in something else. Time shall tell. Now, going on to the political part of the podcast, you have Ted Cruz calling for the IRS to be abolished, which. That would be a good way to give him some political points or maybe some extra votes. Now, he brought this idea back way back in 2018 when he's actually campaigning to get elected. And since he's been in office, since it looks like he's proposed this several times. And from a constitutional perspective, I certainly appreciate that initiative. But I debate if there's any real traction behind this because... You have so many people in the government who just want to keep the status quo. And a lot of people don't realize before World War II, there was no income tax from a federal level. In fact, when World War II started and the United States started getting involved, the government said, hey, and of course they, they weren't so um, casual with their language. They didn't say, hey, but they said to the effect, we're at war, money's a little tight. If you feel it's your patriotic duty to contribute a tax of your income or contribute some of your income, we greatly appreciate it. 
And of course, that soon translated to, hey, we're going to have the federal income tax, but we promise it's just for the duration of the war. And of course, one of the best quotes when it comes to government policies or taxes in general is, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary tax. Because of course, they never got rid of it. And now, depending on what your income level is, 40% of your paycheck is stolen, I mean taxed, by the federal government. And again, you get 10% income tax taken away for the state. You get 10% taken away when you go to shop, buy something, you have a sales tax. Don't forget you have property tax, you have capital gains tax, gasoline tax, cigarette tax if you choose to smoke, alcohol tax if, alcohol tax if you choose to partake in alcohol. The taxes simply add up exponentially. So to get rid of some of the federal ones would be quite nice for many people, especially when we have 40-year high inflation, people are struggling paycheck to paycheck. And it'll be interesting to see if he gets a couple more people on vote, or rudimentally speaking, more people to vote with him on this initiative. But in terms, he is, of course, uh, I shouldn't say a color, so you don't know, but he is a representative from Texas. And if he could get more people behind this, it might raise his odds of getting reelected. From a... From a political move on the chessboard, it's certainly going to attract many people of the libertarian-minded or maybe more conservative-minded, who, of course, he is a Republican, so maybe he's trying to signal to his base and get increases in those votes as he faces more competition. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves and if this is a just a political virtue signal or if this is a strategic long-term initiative he has. Either way, it does sound from his perspective and the people who follow Ted Cruz it's a good move on the political chessboard. And we'll see. Maybe it might help out a little bit. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day. You have Ben and Jerry's. It looks like they're getting called out on their crap. Now, Ben and Jerry's, if you're just watching the highlight, they're an ice cream company owned by leftists, which I define as people who are far left, just as we have people who are far right. And on the 4th of July, Ben and Jerry's thought it would be a brilliant idea to tweet a message that says to the effect... Mount Rushmore is on indigenous land. It was stolen from indigenous land. We should give it back. Yes, they seriously, this wasn't a parody account. Ben and Jerry's legitimately tweeted this for all hundreds of thousands of users to observe. And of course, thankfully, they were ratioed completely because that's all land since the dawn of time since Cain killed Abel. But it's one of those instances also where some people on the Twitterverse started to do a little research. And people couldn't help but find that Ben and Jerry's headquarters over in Vermont, guess what? Like every piece of land since the dawn of time, it was also owned by indigenous people. Now, interestingly enough, in this case, those people, the ancestors, are still around. Now, you actually have that tribe. They, they're tweeting back to Ben and Jerry saying, we'll take it back. So specifically, you have Don Stevens. He's the chief of the Nilligan band of the Kusuk Abinaki tribe. He told the press that Ben and Jerry's headquarters was on their native land and he looks forward to speaking with Ben and Jerry's on how they could better benefit the indigenous people. Now, I don't know if you want to call this a political move, a cultural move, a business move, a brilliant move by Don Stevens. Because it's going to force Ben and Jerry to either pay millions of dollars in restitution or put up a sign or give some land back. It's going to cost Ben and Jerry's something. If they do nothing, they're going to lose sales from people on the left who follow the company because, of course, they're hypocrisy. They're two-faced charlatans. They would be called out appropriately as because this is directly in their control. They have control about Rushmore. They can complain about that all day long. It, doesn't, it won't cost them a penny. 
But if you have to relocate a headquarters of a business, that's quite expensive. It looks like some of their production plants are on, are on that land as well. And no matter where they go, it will still be on what was native land. Since the dawn of time, that's how it's always been. You can't change that fact. They might, they might legitimately buy land, like they'll pay for land 25 miles down the street, and someone will do some research and go, oh, wait a minute, that was also owned by this different tribe. And they'll have to do it again. And again there is no end to that. And it'll be interesting to see. They just, what, what are they going to do? But I, it was oddly satisfying to see, just left, right, center, and there's nothing I disdain more than two-faced charlatans and hypocrites. So having them called out every once in a while is quite refreshing. And again, Ben and Jerry's did not have to do this. Their sales were fine before the 4th of July. But because they wanted a virtue signal, they wanted to get involved in politics and bring up a interesting thing no one was thinking about yesterday about their plant and their company, now it's going to cost them something. So that has to be the business blunder of the day. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to tune in. Don't forget, we're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of July, so I greatly appreciate you clicking that button. Also, don't forget to take the time to comment, like. All the feedback is greatly appreciated to try to make the channel and the show better and better. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.